0: Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We are in chapter 9, and we will begin with verse 33 and go through 41 today. In your pew Bible, that's on page 1005. And uh, if you are new here with us and didn't bring a Bible, grab that pew Bible so you can follow along, page 1005. And if you don't own a Bible, we want you to take that Bible home with you. That is our gift to you. We believe in the power of God's Word and don't want you to leave here without that source of all life again our scripture is the gospel of mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 33 and there it's written and they came to capernaum and when he was in the house he asked them what were you discussing on the way but they kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them and talking and taking him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. If you would, please join me in prayer. Oh, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I, I want to begin today with a poem. So it's, an, uh, it's not given credit to anybody. It's an anonymous poem. Uh, author to this poem. I came across it reading a book written by uh, Pastor Rick Atchley and Bob Russell, both who had uh, turned small churches into mega churches. One came from the uh, Church of Christ, a cappella Church of Christ that doesn't use instruments. And then Bob Russell came from the Independent Christian Church. Both of them original roots within the restoration movement, just like us. Uh, but through the past century, there's been divisions and dividing and separation further along the way. But so they co-authored this book about our oneness in Christ. And Here's the poem within it that they used. Believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right, no one else, confess. Feel as I feel, think as I think, eat what I eat, drink what I drink. Look as I look, do always as I do, then and only then will I fellowship with you. In our scripture today, we come across the disciples and Jesus in a moment of intimacy there as he sits them down and begins working on the very posture of their heart, right? So, so the, the posture of their heart, which is exemplified and symptomatic in how they're arguing about who's the greatest. Really, itself, the posture is just a symptom of, of the greater heart condition that is going on, which is the pride at the very core of our sinful nature. For, see, it, it's, our, it's our pride that is the core of our sin nature that we've been battling ever since the garden. And pride itself always has an interesting way of manifesting and coming up within our own lives, it can come from a sense of grandiose, of thinking we're the best, and it's also the opposite side of the same coin is that we are just simply not good enough. Both of those are issues of pride. For even Adam, when they were in the garden and being tempted, it was when the serpent came to say, oh, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because then you'll know the difference between good and evil. And so the temptation was that they would, not just simply know good and evil, but that they would be wise like God. And therefore, if they are wise like God, they would be better at God's job than God Himself. And that's quite the issue of pride, I must say. And, And it's we've been battling it ever since. And then here we walk, we see Jesus and his disciples, and it manifests in this argument as to who's the greatest. But we can imagine the tension in the room. They've been arguing who's the greatest. Jesus walks into the house and he goes, Hey guys, what were y'all talking about on the way here? Silence. Silence because maybe they're a little ashamed that they were arguing about who's the greatest. Or because by now they've learned that Jesus already heard what they were arguing about and knows that he's just going to get them on it anyway. Those of you who've ever been married or in a relationship with a significant other might be able to understand just that. What was that you said? So they don't reveal that they were arguing about the greatest, but Jesus knows. The author knows Now, in the details of the gospel, it doesn't tell us exactly what that argument looked like. Who was it that was claiming to be the greatest? What were the objections and who else was making claims to be the greatest? We can imagine what this conversation, this argument looked like for the disciples, can't we? It's easy for us to imagine because we know the characters. We know Peter is big and brash. We know John is the, the beloved one, his favorite one. But we also know that there's James who is, is, has something special there too. And all three of them got to be on top of the mountain to see the transfiguration. The other nine didn't, so they certainly can't be the greatest, right? We can imagine how this conversation, this argument would go as to who's the greatest. But maybe it's easy for us to imagine how this argument would go because we've lived it out in real life. We've had the argument with someone about us being greater or better than another. Or at least if it hasn't been spoken, it's played out in our mind. And here the disciples are wanting to rank themselves one through 12. Who's numero uno? See, in America, we love ranking systems. We love it. Top 10 list? Dave Letterman made a career off top 10 lists in the late show. you to rank all sorts of things. We love rankings. In sports, we love rankings. Uh, unless the BCS system doesn't rank TCU high enough, so we need to scrap it and go to a college football playoff that we still can't break into. We love ranking systems. The Olympics are ending just now, and not only do we go to see who's the very best athlete in all the world of those who showed up, but then we go on to brag about which country gets the most total medals. And it's a constant update. And the latest word was we just edged out China as the country with more athletic talent than them. We love ranking systems, it inspires competition. Competition's good because competition breeds innovation and change and growth comes from it. Yet Jesus here is concerned with the very posture of the disciples' heart because the competition they are having breeds destruction and division. For he knows what the scriptures say in Proverbs 16, 18. That pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So Jesus sits down his disciples in the rabbinical tradition and they're sitting down the 12 and they're sitting at, literally at the feet of Jesus learning from them as he goes to explain servant leadership and what it truly looks like. And they don't get it they don't get it we we see that they don't get it because the apostle John in a minute here we'll go through him he spouts off he doesn't get what Jesus just said we know that later when they go to the upper room and they walk in and they all just sit down nobody washed anybody's feet and Jesus is looking around and, and he grabs his towel and washes feet and they still object to Jesus serving others they just didn't get it until after the resurrection we often don't get it either, right? Jesus says the first must be last. When we hear that, it just doesn't compute in our brain in a way that we totally understand and get right away because we aren't wired to. We're wired to understand Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights when he says if, you, if you're not first, you're last. Not that if you want to be first, you must be last. We don't understand it completely. It, it, it trips us up because it's counter normal to us. And see, we're trained and, and raised that, that dominance and bravado is where power lies. And that's what wins the day. And it's infected the church because it's infected our hearts. See, we can call it on a personal level. We can call it the comparison act. It's what leads us either feeling good about ourselves or feeling down about ourselves. We take someone within, within the world, within our community, within our context and say they're the status quo. Am I better than them or worse than them? And then it leads us in a range of emotions afterwards. And this whole comparison act isn't based on wanting self-betterment. It's based on our own pride. And so we can turn to someone and say, well, at least I'm better than so-and-so. And that often leads us to treat that person differently because we've now put ourselves above them. Or maybe... You don't do that, because we are Christians, after all, and so we say it differently. Well, when I look at others and how their life is going, I realize just how blessed I am. That's a real Southern Christian way to say I'm better than so-and-so. And it puffs up our chest a little bit. We feel better about ourselves. It's our pride there within our heart. And that's part of the posture of how we live it out. It's our sinful nature coming to our flesh. And so Jesus grabs a child. They're in Peter's house in Capernaum. And Jesus grabs this child. And as they're sitting there, he's holding on to this child. And Jesus speaks. Aramaic, and that's how he's talking to them, is in Aramaic. And so the word for child is the same word as servant. And so Jesus was saying that the disciples must receive his children, other servants and disciples. With the open arms and love with which he was holding this very child among them. That there is no greatest among those who follow Jesus. That we are in fact to receive all of God's people as we do children. With no thought of their accomplishments, or their influence, or their fame, or their gifts, for they are simply his children. It's how we're to receive everyone, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We receive them simply because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. throughout the years studies have been done now on on decades past that within uh, american politics we're becoming more and more divisive and less Tolerant of other ideas and other perspectives. And it's shown up and shown out that our tongues are less tamed than they've ever been in how we lash out and talk with each other. And it's even begun to come and infect the church. In this pandemic, in the last 18 months, we've seen it exacerbated, and we still hear it today from other Christians. Well, you know, I'm a better Christian than those that won't wear a mask because I love my neighbor, or I got the vaccine, so I'm a better Christian. I do it to love. Of my neighbor, or we hear it from the opposite side as well that I'm not listening to the government, you are a bunch of fools for following the government. I put my faith in Jesus, and so therefore, I'm the better Christian. You see how this comparison act and this need to be better than your brothers and sisters in Christ is tearing Jesus's church apart. And it comes from the very posture of our hearts. We've allowed the need to be the greatest or the best at anything to infect our heart all the way to the core, to where then, when we live it out with our brothers and sisters, we just want to rip apart from each other. That's why Jesus sits them down when they're arguing about who's the greatest. And so we get to John, right? Jesus tells them, welcome this child. Love, like, love others like you love this child. And we see John doesn't get it. For he goes, the apostle John, upon hearing this, tells of their attempt to stop somebody who was casting out demons in Jesus' name. And they wanted him to stop. And he tells them why. He says, because he's not one of us. He's not following us. He's not in our group. He's in some other group. He goes to a different church, a different denomination. They hold their hands up when they worship. They sing to an organ. They don't use any instruments. They weren't one of us, John claimed. And maybe it was derived from uh, a bit of intolerance. They wanted to try and keep everything as pure as possible. Or maybe it derived from jealousy because this other man casting out demons was having success. And just a few verses earlier here in Mark, we heard of the disciples' failure to cast out demons themselves. So maybe it was out of a fear that they weren't, in fact, the greatest themselves. In our tradition, we come from that same tradition that Rick Ashley and Bob Russell do, born in the frontier of, of the 1800s in Kentucky, coming from all sorts of traditions and wanting to throw away denominational labels and, and affiliations because we believe at our very core that we are Christians only, but not the only Christians. Not just here in America, but across the world. For when Paul writes that we are one in Christ Jesus, he means not just us here at First Christian Church of the Beaches. He doesn't just mean those of us who go to First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. He means all of his church, worldwide. There there is one body, but many members. what can the left foot say to the ear that I don't need you? Because I can't tell that you're one of us. And So Jesus just isn't having any of this attitude. He wants to curb the posture of their heart and deal with what's going on in their hearts, this pride that's going on And so we are to live out what Jesus taught about serving others and loving others and and this patience and this kindness that he has with us. We are to be the most generous with others because here is the fact. The ground at the foot of the cross is level where we come and humble ourselves at the foot of the cross and the blood of Christ runs over us, forgiving us of our sins is level. There is no ladder to climb to the top to be number one, but we are all there together, completely undeserving of being washed clean. And yet here we are. The worst of the worst. Not the best of the best. The worst of the worst. Because God chose to have mercy upon us. So because there is no climbing, we are to rejoice when our brothers and sisters rejoice and we are to care for our brothers and sisters when calamities and difficulties fall upon them. So just as Jesus called his disciples at his feet to ask them to examine the posture of their own hearts, he asked us to do the same. And then he asked us to look at him, to look at Jesus, who humbled himself, came down from his throne in heaven, humbled himself to be like us, to live and then die. Die for our sins and put on his righteousness on us so that we could be reconciled with our father having life abundant. He is the way. He is the truth. None shall come to the father except through him. So look to Christ. Give thanks for the loving kindness and the patience and the grace in your life. And then go share that with others. Amen.